Boris Johnson wins big for Brexit just hours after the media say he's down. Nancy Pelosi says the case for impeachment remains very strong after dropping the only impeachment offense charge she had on President Trump. And former FBI Director James Comey insists that the Inspector General vindicated him on partisan impropriety just days after the IG explicitly did not vindicate him. All of which shows us a central feature about the left. Leftists will never give up the lie. They will never give up the narrative, no matter how clearly the facts contradict them. We will dispel the gaslighting. Then the U.S. takes the prize for the highest rate of single parenthood in the world. Congratulations, everybody. We examine why and how this all plays into recent debates about the role of politics in shaping our culture. And finally, a Christmas time miracle. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. The media got a major conservative victory wrong again. Isn't that so weird? Doesn't that sound familiar? I don't know. We will get to what happened over in the UK and what it means for the US. First, I got to thank our friends over at NetSuite. One major problem that I have always seen about growing businesses, small businesses, small businesses becoming big businesses, is they have trouble with their money. They have trouble keeping track of their time and they have trouble because they can't keep track of their numbers. Their their business systems are a complete hodgepodge. That is where NetSuite comes in very handy. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, HR instantly, all instantly, straight from your desktop or your phone. Time is money. I get it. People come in, they say, all right, I know how to use this software. I know how to use this. We'll just use them and fix it later. You're going to waste a lot of time. NetSuite is the number one cloud business system in the world. It takes all the fear, all the trouble out of keeping track of your numbers. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash That's netsuite.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com slash Knowles. All right, last week, you probably heard, you probably looked at the news reports that were coming out, a major election in the United Kingdom. The key issue for this election was Brexit. Why was Brexit the key issue three years after the Brexit vote? Because the media and the left won't let you move past the Brexit vote. Because the left assumed that the Brexit vote was going to end in remain. It was going to end in the voters saying that the UK should stay in the EU. That's not what happened. The left has spent the past three years trying to undo that vote with this vote and that vote. And you've got some conservative prime minister, but you can't actually get the vote through because they don't have a clear enough majority. So Boris Johnson, the conservative prime minister comes out and he says, we're going to have a vote. We're going to put it to the people again, because the left won't let us just pull out of the EU which shows you the danger of all these international institutions. We're going to put it up to a vote again. Here's what the mainstream media said about that election. This is just before the election, five days ago. Business Insider. The UK could be heading for another hung parliament as Boris Johnson's poll lead is cut in half. CNBC. Pound shaken. Shaken as UK election poll puts Johnson outright win in doubt. Reuters. Knife edge. 
UK's Johnson ahead, but polls suggest majority might be tough, right? So what they're saying is, okay, maybe Johnson is going to win more seats than everybody else. Maybe the conservatives will have the plurality of seats, but they won't have an outright majority and therefore they can't do what they want to do and therefore Brexit's in trouble. One report said that Boris Johnson was hiding in a fridge, literally in a fridge, because he was so afraid of talking to reporters about this election that wasn't going to go his way. So that's what the media said. What actually happened? Johnson won more clearly than any British politician in 18 years. Johnson got a bigger victory than any conservative British politician since Margaret Thatcher, since the 80s. It was a blowout. It was an incredible conservative win. The election was all about Brexit, which the media say is unpopular, but it's actually popular. And the conservatives totally won it. Does that remind you of anybody? Does that sound familiar to you? I don't know about you all. I don't know about how old or young you are, but I am old enough to remember the election of 2016 when the mainstream media told us that there was a 99% chance that Hillary Clinton was going to win. You conservatives shouldn't even show up to the polls tomorrow. It's so clear. And then I'm old enough to remember the past three years when they say Trump is on the ropes. The people want him out. He's going to get impeached. He's going to get removed from office. And then none of that happened. None of that happened. This reminds us of a central fact about the left. It's a, it's a fact I keep going back to. I'm a New Yorker, so there's a lot of idioms, a lot of idiomatic expressions that New Yorkers have heard. One of which is, deny till you die. <laughs> you hear this, especially in the Italian-American community. Deny till you die. If, if you go out there and you tell a lie to somebody, never give it up, no matter how obviously the evidence contradicts you. And I've always thought this was kind of a ridiculous strategy because, you know, eventually reality is going to be so clear that you can't get away with it. The left never, never figured that out. The left is going to deny till they die. They're going to keep up the lie. They're never going to give up the narrative. I think what we saw in the UK easily could be a preview of 2020 in the United States. Not necessarily so. I'm not resting on my laurels. I'm not saying Trump is definitely going to win, but it's the same phenomenon we saw in 2016. We saw it now over in the UK. There's something happening around the world, certainly around the Anglosphere. But but look at the polls in America. There's a poll just came out out of USA Today, Suffolk University, which is that after the impeachment hearings, the polls have moved in the direction of supporting Trump. Now the majority of Americans oppose impeachment and removal from office. That was not true before the impeachment. The impeachment has hurt the Democrats' case. It's helped Trump. 51 to 45%. So it's not, it's not a blowout, but this is even according to the pollsters. 51% oppose removal from office. 45% support removal from office. So now, as a result of these numbers, Democrats are trying desperately to prove that this whole impeachment farce has not been a failure. One of the major voices behind impeachment was Adam Schiff on the House Intelligent Committee. He goes out and is speaking to former Clinton hack George Stephanopoulos, and he, he comes out and says, this was not a failure. Gosh, guys, we got exactly what we wanted. Apparently, right now, you haven't persuaded a majority of Republicans that it's worthy of impeachment. And back in March, you also warned against that. You said the only thing worse than putting the country through the trauma of impeachment is putting the country through the trauma of a failed impeachment. If President Trump is overwhelmingly acquitted in the Senate, is that a failure? 
Uh, no, it isn't a failure. Uh, at least it's not a failure in the sense of our constitutional duty in the House. Uh, and I'll tell you what changed my mind, George, because you're right. I resisted going down this road towards impeachment. Oh, I, I resisted going down this road, road toward impeachment, except that I've been leading the charge. Literally nothing Adam Schiff just said is true. He has been leading the charge for impeachment. And of course this is a failure. Of course it is. How else do you try to spin it? They thought they had him. They, they thought, I mean, I guess there was never a chance they were going to remove him from office, but they dropped their major charge against him. The major charge they were going after, the whole allegation about the phone call with Ukraine is that Trump committed a quid pro quo. Trump engaged in bribery. Trump engaged in extortion. It was always a ridiculous charge, but at least bribery is an impeachable offense. They had the impeachment inquiry. They had the impeachment hearings. They dropped the charge. So not only is it a failure because they won't remove him from office, it's a failure because they couldn't even charge him with what they were trying to charge him in the first place. Nancy Pelosi, same thing, completely straight face. They say, has this been a big flop? Is this, you, you don't even get him on the bribery charge. She said, we have very strong charges against the president. As you probably know, the president is calling this impeachment light because there are only two articles of impeachment. He says there's no crimes in here. The president is wrong. That, you know, what can I say? We have put forth our articles of impeachment. I'm very proud of all the committees. Six committees have been working on this for a very long time. Uh, this is nothing swift about it, but it is urgent. Uh, and so we will be uh, bringing the articles. The committee will uh, uh, work on it today. As you know, this, I don't know if it's this morning or this afternoon. That depends on the pace in the committee. And then next week, we'll take up but something. Now, you yourself accused him of bribery. Why did you decide not to make bribery one of the articles of impeachment? I myself am not a lawyer. Sometimes I act like one. Not as often as I act as a doctor. I practice medicine on the side without benefit of diploma, too. Uh, this is a decision that was recommended by our working together uh, with our committee chairs, our attorneys, and the rest. So we, the articles are what they are. They're very powerful. They're very strong. They're very powerful. They're very strong. Who are you trying to convince, Nancy? I love when the little bit of humor breaks through there. And they say, hold on a second. Nancy Pelosi, you said that you were going to get him on bribery. You said you were going to get him on quid pro quo. You don't have that. What happened to that legal case? She said, well, look, I'm not a lawyer. I mean, I might act like one, but not as much as I act like a doctor with prescription drugs without a degree. <laughs> not, look, I, I don't pretend to be a doctor as much as I do drugs. And by the way, if you're wondering why I'm acting so odd, it might be because of all the drugs that I just admitted to doing. <laughs> But she, I, look, if I were Nancy Pelosi, I'd probably do a few drugs these days as well. The case falls apart and yet they're not letting up. This goes all the way to probably the most slimy, crooked guy in the entire process, James Comey. We'll get to that in a second. First, I've got to thank our friends over at First Leaf. And I got to tell you, I know Christmas is coming up fast. We're now in the last minute gift buying stage of things. You got to get First Leaf. You got to get First Leaf for your friends and family, but more importantly, you got to get it for yourself. First Leaf is the coolest wine company I've ever worked with. You, here's how you get started. You get started on First Leaf by taking a quiz to assess your exact 
wine drinking preferences, from the sweetness you like, to the different types of wine varietals, to everything you think you know. Then, First Leaf creates an introductory six-pack of wine for $29.95. For no, that is nothing for six bottles of wine. That's like one pretty nice bottle of wine or two, you know, okay, bottles of wine. You get six. These are very nice wines. They typically sell for about $20 a piece. So the bottles arrive and you taste them. And maybe it's not everything you insisted is your favorite kind. Maybe they'll throw one in there you don't know about. Maybe they'll, right, so you, you try them. Then you go online and you rate them. And then First Leaf takes your ratings and starts to select unique wines for you based on your tastes for your next shipment. I am so blown away by this thing. I was always skeptical of wine clubs. I love this. Obviously, they gave me a freebie so I could try it. I'm remaining a subscriber. I'm shelling out my own money for it. I love First Leaf. Uh, every, uh, First Leaf rather sends out 17,000 unique shipments of wine every single month. The wines are fabulous. Everyone's tastes are different. First Leaf will match you where you want to be. Join it today. It's just so great. Sign up with my link. You will get an exclusive intro offer. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles. That is six bottles of wine for only $29.95. And I love it. I cannot recommend this thing highly enough. $29.95 plus free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. You heard it from Nancy Pelosi. They're not going to give up the lie. The lies are not going to end, okay? I, I think we all want this moment of catharsis where after the Russia hoax and the Ukraine hoax and the Stormy Daniels and the this and they're trying to oust Trump for all these ridiculous reasons, overturn the election. We just want this moment of the left saying, you got us. You got us. You found the texts between Strzok and Page. Okay, you read that you got the IG report. We were wrong about Russia. You read the Mueller report. We were wrong about Ukraine. We dropped the bribery charge. You got us. You got us. We were trying to overturn the election. Sorry, my bad. Let's try again next time. You want that moment of catharsis. You want that moment of honesty. You're not going to get it. You are never going to get that from the left. Like the most hardened mobster, the left will deny till they die. They will never, ever give it up. Just look at James Comey. James Comey, former FBI director, and really the man at the center of so much of this controversy since 2016, since 2015. James Comey goes on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace, and he just does not give it up. Wallace, to his credit, pushes James Comey, says, you know, isn't there something wrong here? Isn't, didn't something shady go down? He won't give it up. He gives a completely straight face and defends himself. Former FBI Director James Comey. Director, welcome to Fox News Sunday. Thanks for having me. You have been taking something of a victory lap since the IG report was released earlier this week. The question is whether or not it's justified. Here are you and the Inspector General Michael Horowitz answering the same question. Do you think this is vindication? It is. I mean, the FBI's had to wait two years while the president and his followers lied about the institution. Finally, the truth gets told. Does your report vindicate Mr. Comey? It doesn't vindicate anyone at the FBI who touched this, including the leadership. The IG says you should feel no vindication. Well, maybe it turns upon how we understand the word. Maybe it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is, you know, like, is this Vindication for me, uh, if is means to be, then no, no, I guess it's not. Listen to that Clintonian, oily, 
serpentine, it's a clear contradiction here. Comey goes out, he says, I've been totally vindicated by the IG. The IG comes out and says, Comey has not been vindicated. And you just want James Comey sitting there in front of Chris Wallace to say, yeah, okay, you got me. Yeah, fine, you got me. But he doesn't do it. He won't give it to you. He says, well, it depends on what that word means. No, it doesn't. It, the word has a meaning, all right? And you're, you're using that word to mean the opposite of what it means, which means you are lying. He goes on, he goes on because he knows he can't totally get away with this. So he has to pretend that he's apologizing. He has to pretend that he's admitting he's wrong. But listen carefully, he never does anything even close. 17 significant errors in the FISA process and you say that it was handled in a thoughtful and appropriate way. Yeah, he's right. I was wrong. I was overconfident in the procedures that the FBI and Justice had built over 20 years. I thought they were robust enough. It's incredibly hard to get a FISA. I was overconfident in those because he's right. There was real sloppiness. 17 things that either should have been in the applications or at least discussed and characterized differently. It, it was not acceptable. And so he's right. I was wrong. You know, he was right. He was right. I was wrong. I was just too confident in all of the processes that existed. And I, as a completely passive figure here, I had confidence in it and I shouldn't have had that confidence. The issue at hand is not James Comey's confidence. It's what he did. It's not what you thought about things that were happening outside of you. It's what you did, James Comey. And, and what the IG is saying is you are not vindicated in what you did in your actions. You acted inappropriately. What you did was wrong. He says, I, no, I don't know that I did anything. It's that I, I just had too much trust. And then James Comey goes out there and he, I can't believe he says this with a straight face. He gives the classic archetypal epitome of a non-apology, apology, non-apology. We'll get to that in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at Car Shield. Cars today are like computers on wheels, super computers on wheels. They have electronically controlled transmissions, touchscreen displays, a zillion different sensors. And as I learned, unfortunately, about three months ago, this technology is very expensive to fix if and when it breaks. And it breaks. It breaks quickly. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands of dollars for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and more than that. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work. CarShield takes care of the rest. CarShield coverage gets you back on track in no time. They offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers, all right? A million people can't be wrong. Drive with confidence knowing that you have coverage from America's number one auto protection provider. Whether you have 5,000 miles on your car or whether you have 150,000 miles on your car, it is inevitable that something is going to break. All right, this, this happened to me. I got caught a few months ago without this kind of coverage. It cost me big time, all right? Now I am so thrilled that I have car shield protection. Do not wait. Do not make my mistake and wait until your check engine light comes on. Get covered by car shield today. Call 800-CAR-6000. Or, and, by the way, when you call in, mention my code, Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Or you can go visit carshield.com and use the code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, you will save 10%. Merry Christmas. That is carshield.com, code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. A deductible may apply. Okay. James Comey, completely straight-faced. Then he, he makes the most egregious statement of the entire interview. 
Chris Wallace says, all right, you say you were wrong, but then you didn't really take responsibility for that. Please acknowledge the mistakes you made. Please acknowledge the inappropriate behavior you engaged in. And James Comey responds, well, you know, gosh, Chris, you make a great point. I guess I'm just too accountable. You're a, a, a bystander, an eyewitness. You were the director of the FBI while well, a lot of this was going on, sir. Sure. I'm responsible for that. That's why I'm telling you I was wrong. I was overconfident as director in our procedures. And it's important that, it, that, an, that a leader be accountable and transparent. If I were still director, I'd be saying exactly the same thing that Chris Ray is saying, which is we are going to get to the bottom of this because the most important question is, is it systemic? Are there problems in other cases? It's not the most important question. The most important question is, what did you do? What was your role in all of this, James Comey? Chris Wallace, to his credit, pushes back on James Comey. He says, you're pretending that you're some passive observer here. You're not. You're the guy who's being accused of doing this stuff, and it looks like you did it. And he says, I, I know I admit, Chris, you're right. I admit that I was overconfident. No, James, we're not talking about your confidence. We don't care about your confidence. We care about your actions in the FISA abuse process. And how do you explain that, James Comey? He says, look, it's very important for people to be accountable. I'm, that's why I'm so accountable that I'm admitting that I was confident a complete non-answer. Chris Wallace tries just one more time, just one effort, please, Comey, break that facade and that lie just for one second. He says, the IG is contradicting what you're saying very clearly. And Comey just pretends that he can't hear the words coming out of Chris Wallace's mouth. It wasn't part of a broader mosaic. That's what you said, sir. I'm not sure he and I are saying different things. What his report says is that the FBI thought it was a close call until they got the Steele report, put that additional information in, and that tipped it over to be probable cause. It's a long FISA application that includes Steele material and lots of other material. I don't think we're saying different things. Well, I think you are, sir, because he's saying... You're saying it's part of a broader mosaic. It's just one element. He's saying it was the tipping point. It's what brought it over. That doesn't make it part of a broader mosaic. It makes it the centerpiece of the whole FISA application and the ability to surveil Carter Page. Yeah, I don't understand him to be saying that. I could be wrong about that. Well, I, I, mean, I, got, I got his quote here. Uh, he says, we concluded the Steele reporting played a central, a central and essential role in the decision to seek a FISA warrant that it pushed the, the FISA proposal over the line in terms of establishing probable cause. I mean, yeah. he says what he says. Words mean something. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with his characterization. I'm just confused. I, know, I don't see the disconnect between the two of us, and I'm sorry that I'm missing it. Yeah, I just don't see it. I don't see the disconnect between my lies and the reality that directly and explicitly contradicts my lies. I guess I'm not seeing it, Chris. What James Comey is really saying here is, Chris, you're trying to get me to admit that I lied, that I acted inappropriately, but I'm James Comey. I'm the former director of the FBI. I'm a left-wing tool, and I am never going to break. I'm never going to crack this facade. The actual question at hand is over the spying on the Trump campaign. All right, the IG says that the center of the FBI's case to spy on the Trump campaign was the Steele dossier, which was a farce, completely discredited and paid for by the Democrats, Hillary Clinton and the DNC. 
James Comey is saying, oh, the FISA, the, the, the Steele dossier was just one aspect of the FISA case. But so even if you lose the Steele dossier, doesn't matter. We still had a strong case to spy on the Trump campaign. That, those are two statements that cannot simultaneously be true. And Chris Wallace is there reading the words of the IG. James Comey's not an idiot. You would have to be so profoundly stupid to think that those two statements are the same thing, that they can simultaneously be true. And James Comey's not stupid. So Chris Wallace reads the words from the IG Horowitz. Comey hears the words and he says, nope. I Look, maybe I, that's not what I understand those words to mean. I don't think words have any meaning beyond what I will them to mean. Like Humpty Dumpty and Alice in Wonderland. Humpty Dumpty says in my language, words can mean whatever I want them to mean. Alice says, can words really mean all those things? And Humpty Dumpty says, that's not the question. The question is, which is to be master? That's all. And that's what the left would do. They would master our culture, master our politics by totally changing the meaning of words without any regard to objective reality. That's what they're going to do. The narrative is everything to the left. The facts are nothing. You see this everywhere from the national level, the international level over in the UK, all the way down to the school bus all the way down to football games. Two stories in the media just over the weekend which show you this outrageous level of bias. A young boy was viciously attacked and beaten up on a school bus, according to his parents, because he wore a Make America Great Again hat. How much have you heard about that? Probably not very much. Another story is some cadets at the West Point Army-Navy game made the okay sign, made the, that's the circle game where you show the circle and you get punched in the arm. This has created headlines all over the mainstream media about white supremacy in the military because they made the okay sign, the, the circle game where you get punched in the arm. We'll get into both of those stories. We will then get into an, another total race hoax. We'll get into the U.S. highest single parenthood rate in the world. And then we'll get into a Christmas time miracle. First, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Have to head over to Daily Wire. Dot com. You know what you get. We now have multiple tiers of membership, so you can get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get the Matt Walsh Show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag. You get another kingdom. You get so much. And then when you get to our all-access tier, we do these discussions all the time on the website. They're super fun. You uh, get to hop in on those, ask questions, and engage with all of the hosts. We have a great time doing it and uh, always love love talking to the members and the listeners. So head on over and go do that. It's Christmas time. So why not treat one of your loved ones or treat yourself? It's a little scroogey, but that's okay. Why not? Why not treat yourself? (laughs) Uh, Dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. I'll show you how the left doesn't give up the narrative. Two stories in the media and one response from a Democratic congressman. First story out of Florida. Five young students were charged with a crime, with assault, with battery, because a video went online showing this group of kids pummeling, beating the living daylights out of a 14-year-old kid. According to the boy's mother, who has now spoken out about this to local news stations and on Twitter, the boy's mother says that he was beaten up because he wore a MAGA hat to school, and this caused him to be just absolutely had the, the crap beaten out of him. Here's, I'm just going to play a little tiny bit of this video just so you can hear it. I'm, not, I'm only going to play maybe 15, 16 seconds just so you get the taste. You, it's actually hard to watch the whole thing. 
All right, the punching this kid in the head, multiple kids, boys and girls, just wailing on this kid. The school is denying it had anything to do with the Make America Great Again hat. The mother's saying that's what it was about. The school's saying nothing like that. And the sheriff's office is denying to pursue it as a hate crime. Now, why would it even be a hate crime? Because beyond the political aspect to this story, there's a racial aspect. The kid who's getting beaten up is white. All the kids who are beating him up are black. Does that mean that this is a racially motivated crime? I have no evidence of that. I have no evidence that it's not that, but I certainly have no evidence that it is that. However, if the tables were turned, if this were reversed here, certainly any sheriff's office would pursue this as a hate crime. If it were a group of white students attacking a black student, especially if there were some political aspect that were, were part of the story here, let's say the kid wore an Obama shirt, okay, or that would certainly be pursued. They would at least investigate it as a hate crime. They're not doing that here. Okay, that's fine. I don't think we should have a primarily racial politics at all. I think it's a bad idea, even though the left tries to push that all the time. Compare that story to another story out just this weekend at the Army-Navy game on Saturday, a game that I have been to many times. Some cadets, when the cameras were going by, played the circle game. You know the circle game? Your index finger and your thumb together make a circle. You got your other three fingers out and you put the circle down there. And if you look at it, if you make someone look at the circle, you get to punch them in the arm. This is something we all played in elementary school, middle school, maybe even high school. And the, the way you make the sign is by making the okay sign, which is a very normal gesture that people make. There's an emoji for it. And it's something that the left has now determined and decided is a white supremacist hand gesture. Now, how did that begin? It began because of trolls on 4chan who decided to troll the left and pretend that the okay sign means white power because I don't, e- I don't even really get how this works, but they're trying to pretend that in your hand it would spell a W and a P. And the, they did this also with a glass of milk. The, the people on 4chan said, you know, a glass of milk is a white supremacist symbol because it, it, milk is white. And so therefore it means white supremacy. And then the left just runs with this. So, so the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, says this is a white supremacist hand symbol. Ha- I think the media should laugh this into oblivion. I mean, this should not be a story at all. A bunch of cadets making the circle game sign is obviously not a news story. Wall Street Journal, West Point, Annapolis officials investigating possible white power hand sign. New York Times, military investigating suspected white power hand gestures flashed at game Washington Post, Army-Navy officials investigate white power gestures by students. It's the okay sign. At least the Wall Street Journal, to their credit, notes. The sign has also been used in what's known as the circle game, where someone extends the okay sign, and if another person is tricked into looking at it, the second person gets punched in the arm. The sign took on a different significance for some people around 2017, according to the Anti-Defamation League, when it began to be used to signify white power. Yeah, it took on a different meaning for hysterical leftists. It didn't take on a different meaning for racial bigots, beyond the racial bigots on the left. The left sees white supremacy everywhere. And when they get it wrong, they just move on. There, we now have a case in Florida where these students, racially divided, right? There's a racial divide between the perpetrators and the victim here over a political question, which might have racial overtones to it as well. You get this on video, you get the kid's mother saying it, 
No one will pursue it. Doesn't matter at all. Please tamp it down. Stop it. Then you have some cadets at a football game playing the OK sign, the, the circle game with the OK sign. This is an, a national news story about white supremacy. What are the implications for actual racial violence? Very little other than the left will pursue their narrative. They will ignore facts that contradict their narrative. They will double down on it all the time. Where do we see this most particularly? There was a, this awful shooting last week. I'm sure you saw it in the news. Uh, a mass shooting at a kosher grocery store in the Greenville section of Jersey City. Five people killed, including the two attackers and then the, the three civilians who, who were being attacked. A civilian and two police officers were wounded and a Jersey City PD detective was shot and killed at a nearby cemetery just before the attack. Rashida Tlaib, leftist Democrat congressman, tweets out immediately when this happens. This is heartbreaking. White supremacy kills. Just one problem with her narrative. The attackers were not white supremacists. At least one of them was a black supremacist, a member of a group called the Black Hebrew Israelites. Black Hebrew Israelites are a, a vicious group. If you've ever lived in New York or DC, you've probably come across these guys. I've actually spoken to them at length because I, I get a kick out of people. And they stand on street corners and they scream about the white devil and all the awful Jews. And they're really vicious racial bigots. And yet I was talking to them for some long time. The only, I said, why are you talking to me? They said, what are you, what are you Italian? I said, yeah. He goes, where in Italy? I said, my family's from Sicily. They say, okay, that's all right. You're not really white. You're Moorish. You're not, <laughs> that could be a whole other discussion. They would not have spoken to me if they thought I was white. And it's not just white people that they hate. They specifically hate Jews. And now they've actually gone out and, and murdered Jews. Okay. Horrific thing. These are the same guys that were screaming at the Covington kids in Washington, DC with the MAGA hat. Obviously you didn't hear about that in the media either because a black supremacist group killing Jews doesn't go along with the media narrative. What did Rashida Tlaib do when it was obvious that she was lying? Did she apologize? No. Did she rethink her views? No. She just deleted the tweet. That's all. She just deleted the tweet. She's not going to admit she was wrong. That's where we're at, okay? Stop hoping for the catharsis here in politics. The left isn't going to give it to you. What you need to do is develop your own really thick skin here. You need to just look at the facts as you get them. When a report comes out, the IG report or the Mueller report or whatever, you got to read it. You are not going to be told the truth by the mainstream media. You have to read it yourself. And when they gaslight you, which they will do until the end of time, you have to have the fortitude to withstand it. Requires a, a real level of independent thinking. Shifting gears a little bit, there's a, a new award that the United States has won. This award comes by way of polling from the Pew Research Center, shows that the United States has a higher share of single parent households than any country in the world. Hooray, congratulations, we did it guys. This survey shows 23% of US children live with a single adult compared with an average of just 7% around the world. Uh, of these 130 countries, rates of single parent households ranged from the low 20s in the United States and in the United Kingdom, throughout the Anglosphere and, and the West generally, to as low as one, one or 2% in countries like Turkey or Afghanistan. 
Obviously, I wouldn't prefer to live in Turkey or Afghanistan. But it's a pretty, pretty big indictment of our culture that Turkey and Afghanistan are beating us when it comes to single-parent households. This is important for the current debate going on on the right. There's this debate we've been having for a long time between libertarians and conservatives. Libertarians, on the one hand, are saying the government has no role whatsoever in fixing our broken culture. The conservatives, on the other hand, are saying that politics obviously affects culture in some ways. This is a good example of how the conservatives are right. We're not saying politics is the sure-all fix to culture or even the primary fix to culture, but it does have some effect. Libertarians here are trying to take the Andrew Breitbart maxim to this completely radical extreme. You know, Breitbart said, politics is downstream of culture. That is true, but that, that slogan only takes you so far. Obviously, politics does have st- some effect on culture. All right, here's how you can see it in just one specific example. Even those libertarians would admit that the New Deal or the, the Great Society programs of the 1960s, the vastly expanded welfare state, had a very harmful effect on the black community. You had all the numbers going in the right direction among black Americans, murder rates, uh, dropout rates, welfare, uh, out of wedlock birth, abortion, right? They were all going in, in the right direction. They were all getting better. And then you had the great society programs of the 1960s. You had these massive expansions of welfare programs. All of a sudden, all the numbers track in the wrong direction. The great society devastated the black community. I'm not even debating the great society programs. I'm just saying, obviously, politics and government had an effect there on culture. Now consider other political factors when it comes to single parenthood. No-fault divorce. No-fault divorce. We've had it since the 70s. Ironically, California was the first state to pass no-fault divorce laws under Ronald Reagan. So the great conservative president actually signed those no-fault divorce laws into law in the 1970s. No-fault divorce means it's a lot easier to get divorced. You don't have to sue someone and give cause for divorce to break the contract. You just split. You have an, a conscious uncoupling, to use Gwyneth Paltrow's line. And as a result of this, single-parent households explode. There's another factor, single-parent adoption. A single, single woman can adopt a kid in the United States, in, in most cases. Those are, those are two political questions. Those were decided at the political level. They've had an effect on culture. And it would seem to me pretty clearly not a good effect. When you want to talk about privilege, growing up in a two-parent two household, rather, is an immense privilege to children, with their, in particular with their mother and father. That is what you want. That's the best scenario for children. Our politics has moved away from that, and our culture has broken as a result. And we have to go back and try to change that. You know, Rand Paul made a great point about this the other day on Jake Tapper's show. Not about single parent households, not about this broader question of a government and culture. He made the point when it comes to impeachment. He said, what we're seeing impeachment as a symptom of is this move by the left and maybe even some aspects of the right to criminalize politics. Here he is. You have said you do not think there will be any Republican support for removing President Trump in a Senate trial. You will, of course, be a juror in that trial. So are you still keeping an open mind about this, or have you already decided you will acquit the president? You know, we've seen the evidence. We're going to hear the evidence repeated, but we're not going to see any new evidence. So I think all of America has seen this. 
What we've found is this is a very partisan ex exercise. There's not going to be any Republicans in the House. In fact, there'll be a handful of Democrats who will vote against impeachment in the House. In the Senate, I think all Republicans will vote against the House. And I think two Democrats have a very good chance of voting against impeachment also. So I think what we've seen is it's just a very partisan thing. This is a disagreement. People on the Democrat side don't like President Trump. They don't like his demeanor. And so they decided to sort of criminalize politics. But I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a good day for the country. I think it's a sad day because I hope it doesn't devolve into that every president, like in different parts of Latin America, we either impeach or throw presidents into jail just because we don't like their politics. Mm -hmm. I think that will really dumb down and, and destroy the country. Bingo, right on. Great point, Rand Paul. We are trying to criminalize politics now. Obviously, in this specific case, we're trying to turn maladministration or politically incorrect views into an impeachable events, and that, that shouldn't be the case. The left is the one by far leading the charge on criminalizing politics, but the sort of hands-off, call it classically liberal or libertarian right, is sort of letting them do it because they're saying there's really no legitimate role of government and no legitimate role of politics in shaping what happens around us. But politics is just how we live in society with one another. I mean, that's a very basic definition of politics, a definition such that Aristotle would give, right? The line between culture and politics is a little bit blurry. Is abortion a political issue or a cultural issue? Both. Is marriage a political issue or a cultural issue? Both, obviously. What's, what's the distinction? You see a hard and fast distinction when you get to government bureaucracy, meetings and writing great novels, right? That's a pretty clear politics culture. But on so many of the issues we're talking about, it's a little bit blurry. We should not criminalize politics. We should not back away from politics, okay? We shouldn't make it such that if you have a disagreement with someone, you try to throw them in the clink unless they committed actual serious crimes. Likewise, we shouldn't be afraid of engaging in the political process, even if we're on the right. We're going to have to uh, mature a little bit. We're going to have to learn. We're, you know, I don't know why people think that you can just be born into this world, not learn anything about your country or your history or your politics, and then go out there and vote. That's very dangerous. The, a vote in the hands of someone who doesn't know what it's worth is a very dangerous thing. You need a populace that is educated in the traditions of the country, in the history of the country, in the mechanisms of government, in philosophy, in our own liberty. You, needs, you need people to be educated into that. You need to earn that if you want self-government to endure. Great point from Rand Paul. Before we go, I want to talk about a Christmas time miracle because right now we're talking about how in, in the realm of politics, hoaxes are being passed off as truth. More broadly, especially in the realm of religion, Truth is being passed off as a hoax without any reason. And you see this specifically with something we celebrated on December 12th, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe is a miracle that uh, the Catholics celebrate, but a lot of people don't know anything about it, especially atheists or agnostic or religiously unaffiliated or some Protestants or frankly, even some Catholics don't know anything about it. So I just want to bring this to your attention and maybe expand your mind a little bit in this Christmas time miracle. The Our Lady of Guadalupe refers to a, a miracle. That, and, and if you don't believe in miracles, stick with me for a little bit. I'll present you the evidence. It's a miracle that happened almost 500 years ago now. It started to happen on, on the morning of December 9th, 1531. There was an apparition of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary, Our Lady, introduces herself to this kind of 
peasant or slightly better off than a peasant uh, Native American in Latin America outside of Mexico City named Juan Diego. And in his language, in the Nahuatl language, the the apparition, the lady, introduces herself as the mother of the very true deity. And she tells Juan Diego to go to the bishop and tell the bishop to build a church on that spot. So Juan Diego goes to the bishop. Uh, The bishop at that time was Fray Juan de Zumaraga. He goes to him and he says, this woman appeared to me, says, build a church. The bishop doesn't believe him. Good. The bishop shouldn't just believe some guy who says, I had this vision and I don't have any evidence of it, so do what I say. Bishop acted completely appropriately. So Juan Diego goes back. He's going up the hill, sees the lady again. The lady says, go back to the bishop, tell him to build the church. Juan Diego goes back again to the bishop. He gets in, speaks to the bishop. Bishop says, I need some evidence, okay? I'm not going to just blindly do what you tell me to do. So Juan Diego then is is upset, I suppose, that he failed to do what the lady told him to. So he's going on his same trek, but he goes a different way because he doesn't want to run into the lady again. Well, as far as apparitions go, Marian apparitions go, it's very hard to avoid them (laughs) if you don't want to see them for some reason. So he goes around a different way and he sees the lady again. And uh, so what she tells him to do to give evidence of this is to go to uh, the top of Tepeyac Hill outside of Mexico City, which is normally barren. This is the dead of winter. This is the middle of December and to gather flowers. Juan Diego goes there and he finds Castilian roses, which are not native to Mexico. And it's the middle of winter anyway. He finds these flowers and he puts them in his garment, which is called a tilma, right? It's this long garment. It's like a working garment. So it looks like a poncho made out of rough plant fiber. They disintegrate within five to 10 years just to work in. He puts the roses in there, pulls it up and goes back to the bishop gets into the bishop and as a sign shows the flowers. The flowers would be a sign. They don't grow in that area and it's the middle of winter. As he's showing the roses, there's an image that miraculously appears on the tilma. And it's an image of this woman, of Our Lady, standing on the moon clothed in the sun. And everyone is amazed by this and they have the image and that's the miracle. Now, now you might be saying, okay, I don't believe any of that. I don't believe this happened. I don't believe there was the apparition. I don't believe that the image got there miraculously. Okay, fine. Here is where you have to question your disbelief. No one has any idea how that image got there. It's not paint. Scientists have examined this very, very closely with super microscopes for decades now. It isn't paint. The, the, the color is just in the fiber somehow. That's the first thing that's a little weird. We don't know what it is. The second thing that's weird is the tilma is a working garment. It should have dissolved. It should have decayed rather within five to 10 years. It survived perfectly intact for 500 years. They make reproductions of it on tilma and those all decay within five to 15 years. And yet this one has lasted perfectly for 500 years. If that doesn't do it for you, consider this. It survived a bomb blast in, uh, in the 1920s, on, on November 14th, 1921, this anti-Catholic secularist planted explosives in a plant right in front of the tilma. The thing explodes. The windows explode. The altar that is right below the tilma completely explodes. A crucifix is all bent over uh, in the sight of the bomb blast. And yet the tilma, completely untouched, looks exactly like it did the day that it appeared. So not only does it survive 500 years of people handling it and soot from candles and all sorts of things that should make it decay, it survives a bomb. No explanation for that whatsoever. And then one of the wildest aspects of this is they looked at this very tiny image. It's really not that big. 
they put it under a super microscope and they look into the eye. And the way that our eyes work, right, is you can see in your eye what I'm seeing. You can see it in the reflection, right? So if you zoomed in on my eye right now, you would see some cameras and some lights and things like that. This is the, the reflection of what we're seeing, right? So they zoom in on this very, very tiny microscopic eye in the image. And when they blow it up, they see the reflection of an old man looking shocked in the image and the people in the room. First of all, there's no way that we, we, we wouldn't have understood how the human eye works 500 years ago in, and uh, certainly a, a Native American pe peasant in Mexico wouldn't have understood that. This was not acknowledged until recent decades because we just didn't know it was there because we didn't have the technology to see it. And it isn't paint, so it's not as though someone painted it on, but even if they did paint it on, there's no way that it could be small enough for them to possibly paint this. There is no explanation for it. This is an important flip side to what we're talking about today, especially as we move into the Christmas season. So much in politics that we see, that we know to be a hoax, is passed off as truth in this absolute regime of lies that we see from the left, from the media, from so many people telling us political lies. Even occasionally, people on the right stretch the truth, all right, willing to acknowledge that. That's what we get in politics. And yet, on these eternal questions, on these metaphysical questions, on these things that are utterly unexplained, other than by revelation, other than by the miraculous, we're told that the truth is a hoax. And the people who tell us the truth is a hoax never explain how it's a hoax. They never give any evidence for their claim. They never give any explanation for the unexplained. They just want us to believe that the truth is a lie and that the lies are the truth. And we've got to resist all of that. All right, that's our show. Come on back tomorrow. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you then. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. On the Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.